0: what do you do when you realize going through caves and you find something crawling by what do you do when you run a hotel and it's in the winter time and you have some unexpected dead guests and what happens in the year of 1995 when you remember a very gruesome story that comes to life and that is threatening your life. More coming up for you on today's episode of Unexpected Hauntings. Stay spooky, listeners. Listen if you dare as we unfold stories of unexplained happenings and phenomena. Write in at unexpectedhauntings 739 at gmail.com. This is where the unexpected and ghost stories are brought into reality. This is Unexpected Hauntings. That's right, everyone. and Welcome back to another episode of Unexpected Hauntings, my friends. It is going to be a great, great episode. We're going over three stories today. It's going to be a bone-chilling story of going through caves that you should have never explored. We're also going to be going over a story about a person that runs a hotel in the wintertime And things go awry in the dark. And lastly, we're going to be going over stories of 1995 trick-or-treating. When trick-or-treating goes wrong, what do you do? It's going to be a great time, everyone. If you want to write into this uh, amazing podcast, you can do that through Unexpected Hauntings. 739 at gmail.com that would be fantastic to be able to have your stories send us in an audio file as well if you want to you're more than welcome to do that and uh or just write in that would be a great great help as we welcome this halloween season it's going to be a lot of fun my friends and i cannot wait to share these stories with you And um, I hope that everyone is doing good during this COVID time. COVID is coming back, my friends, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to toughen through this, and we're going to have a great, great fall season. It's going to be a lot of fun. And these stories are a little bit longer. Not too terribly long, but I got these stories, again, from Reddit, uh, where people just write into stories. Um, and I go and look through them, see which stories would fit, and yeah, it's going to be a great time. And I'm so glad that everyone is tuned in, and make sure to write in if you'd want to. Alright, our first story of the episode is called The Altar, the Altar Caves Should Have Never Been Explored. Now this comes in two journal entries. The first journal entry we have, the second we don't. So it does leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger. So keep in mind, we will be um, doing the journal two as soon as it is out. Um, and it's going to be great. Um, our our dear friend um, Color Blind- Blindness wrote this in on Reddit. It's going to be a lot of fun, my friends. Here we go, and let us journey into the caves that should have never been explored. Here we go. We found a city at the bottom of the world, nestled against the liquid lava of the outer core. It was clearly designed to be once hospitable. For life, but not for humans. Ten hours prior, we descended to rescue a team of miners in a pocket of the cave that collapsed. Since then, we have gone much further down, trying desperately to outmaneuver gigantic creatures that call themselves, call the, these tunnels home. Our sense of direction is gone, and for the past few hours I am certain that even our leader didn't know for sure where we were headed. I didn't want to voice my concerns, but it seemed like the cave itself was alive, ever so subtly changing shape and direction. But I told myself it was just my mind trying to grasp at the strangeness of this hellscape. Now that we have found what looks like ancient tombs, I have found myself questioning sanity again. No human could ever live this far down into the earth, so what civilization called this subterranean palace home? Inside the first foyer, the heat dissipates and a cool air covers our team. Arthur tells us to take a few breaths, and I use the time to examine the material this building is is made of. Describing the structure as being like a city felt wrong, though, because the further we went, the more bizarre the shape it took. It ran in, in every direction through the caverns, including steps and passages that felt impossible zigzagging across the walls and ceilings as though it had been home to thousands of people, maybe even millions. I was sure I was seeing things, but it wasn't long before my teammates voiced their concerns as well. This is insane, Arthur. No way any of this can be built in the last millennia. I can't even get a reading on any of the materials, Jonas said. We need to worry about the mission and nothing else. Let Marjorie's people handle the intellectual stuff, he insisted. He was smart to not focus on it for too long. I feared if I let my mind wander to what kind of creatures had made these structures, I would likely go insane. Oh, 500 hours we came to a halt at a massive chasm that stretches beyond the outer core into what appears to be a bottomless hole. All of us could see signs of strange life teeming below the lava. Worm-like creatures that slithered and shook violently the moment we invaded their space. How long it had been since humans had been there, if ever. Arthur kept us focused on the task at hand. From here, we are expected to scale up the facilities that the military were using is about 10 miles above us. If we hadn't lost our equipment in the, in the earlier fall, it would have been an easy climb. But right now, it looks like we will have to find a way to do it the old-fashioned way. All of us knew what he meant without a fail-safe to keep, to keep us in place. The climb against the pit wall would be extraordinary perilous. He was asking us to risk our lives. But then again, all of us knew that we were signing up for the moment we started this job. Strange hell beasts and impossible mazes weren't exactly part of the course, but I knew we had faced nightmarish caves almost as bad before. "'How much oxygen do you think they have left up there?' Brett asked. "'He was the voice of reason. "'Already we had exhausted half of our own supply, and we had lost communication. "'We had no way of being sure that Marjorie or her team would be coming. "'We could find ourselves trapped as well. "'It's possible that they may have ran out, but we, can, we can't sim- simply turn around "'This is our only way back to the surface,' Arthur reminded us. "'Odds are against us,' I admitted as we checked our equipment again as though to echo that feeling. We We heard a weird breathing noise from the structure behind us. The soldiers that were still alive quickly aimed their rifles towards the opening, and all of us froze to wait and see what would crawl out. Then Jonah emerged from the darkness. Whoa! You guys are looking tense. Everything okay? He asked when he saw their weapons. What in the blazes are you doing? Where did you go? Arthur asked. I hadn't even noticed he had left. I hadn't even noticed he had left, I thought. Sorry, sir, I got a little sidetracked, but it may have been for our benefit. I found something I think you want to see. Jonah led us back into the nameless city, guiding us through the dense fog the way anyone familiar with it would. It astonished me he had managed to memorize all of this so quickly. When we entered the grand opening in the cave wall and found ourselves standing in what looked like a room full of mirrors, it stretched towards the upper mantle of the cave for miles. I think it's some kind of transport, Jonah explained, pointing towards a nearby control panel. Somehow, the power was operational. Not in a language we understood, though. It would be risky to use this, Arthur commented. Jonah only laughed. You can't seriously think we have manpower to make it up that cliff? This pit is nearly at the very core of the Earth. It's a wonder we're even alive. This transport is the only thing that's going to get us where we need to go. None of us dared to join in his rebuttal, even if we were sure he was right. For a few moments, you could could even hear a pin drop in the room. Then Arthur gave gave the orders, Harley, check the perimeter, and then we can see if this thing can haul us up. I saluted and grabbed my own equipment moving toward the eastern corridor for a sweep of the tunnels. I wasn't exactly sure what I was looking for, but the commander was rarely wrong when he gave us these instructions. Something about all of this was off. He must sense it, I realized. A moment later, I saw what that was. There was a body or what was left of it, in the next corner of the hallway. It looked like it had been drained the energy, the color, and the life straight from its corpse. All that was left now was just a hollow shell. I reached for it to get a closer look when I heard a sharp noise from the mirror room. Running back inside, I saw the room had already activated on its own, and two more of the soldiers were now completely vaporized. What happened? I asked as the door sealed. We were moving to a rapid pace towards the upper caverns. This technology appears to be harvested from the life force to traverse space itself. I checked the geological readings in the area before coming here, and this is no way this elevator should even be working. Brett commented. In other words, we're moving in between dimensions at the moment, Jonas said with a nod. It killed them, I said, focusing on what little remained of the soldiers. This tech must connect to a point in the facility above, meaning the team there may be aware aware that we are on our way, Arthur realized. Do you suppose they might have triggered similar tech in the cave above? I guessed. I recalled my misgivings about the structure, the way the cave had been alive. If this really was alien in nature, it all all of a sudden made perfect sense. Every movement it made was the way an organism protected itself. We can't speculate until we arrive. "'Arthur said as he gathered the weapons beside the three of us. "'Only one soldier still remained, "'and all of us were gravely aware it was possible. "'We were walking into another trap. 800 hours. "'The shimmering mirrors finally darkened "'and the transport shook, telling us that we had arrived. "'Arthur passed a rifle to me and told me to be ready "'for whatever might be on the other side.' But I wasn't. The doors opened into a rudimentary passage of stones. The cave was damp, cramped, and quiet. Not nearly as alien as I had expected. The passage narrowed, and I kept the weapon near my side as Arthur stayed in the middle, while Brett and Jonah protected our rear. Light was difficult in the dense space, but we made do to the next few meters until we ran into a massive sheet of metal. This must be the facility in that Marjorie said they were using as a base, Arthur commented. We moved to the east to find an entrance, the cavern winding, widening, as we followed strange formations on the rock. A closer look told me they couldn't possibly all be rocks. They were fingers emerging from the cave wall. In some places, it looked like the cave had swallowed them whole. Then as we turned a corner, I think all of us gasped at once. There, in the rock face, was what was left of Marjorie's husband, Samuel. Half of his body somehow melded with the rocks. As we got closer, I checked for vitals. Somehow, he was still alive. The moment I pricked his fingers, Sam's eyes opened frantically, and he gasped for breath. "'Calm down, man. It's Arthur. Arthur Warren. Marjorie sent us down here. You... you came to rescue us.' Sam's eyes were filled with tears. Then he said something I didn't expect. Why, why did you come? You, you should have left us to die. Marjorie wouldn't want that, Arthur said firmly. Don't you understand? She's gone, Sam, pro- Sam proclaimed as he looked towards his melted body. We are already dead, and so- so- soon you will be too. That's all I've got for journal number one. That is such a cliffhanger. Such a crazy, crazy story going deeper and deeper into these caves and taverns. It's going to be a really, really great entry for journal number two. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. If you have any questions, please message um, the Unexpected Hauntings crew at UnexpectedHauntings.com. Seven three nine at gmail.com we'd love to get your input on this story and if you have any stories that, that are connected to this or stories that are familiar to this please write in or send us a link to that story we would like to share out more stories of that it's very interesting whenever you go into uh, the unknown you don't know what it is and then it turns out to be aliens <laughs> and um, this is mostly a ghost podcast um, channel so we don't normally have mo- a lot of alien stories like this um, so it's very interesting and really really cool to be able to have that. And this is definitely a podcast channel where you can talk about the sci-fi where you can talk about the paranormal, all of the things that it's unexpected this is where you can write into tell us your experience all of the crazy things that happen we are here to read your stories and definitely get the word out for some of these places Um, and uh, that was such a crazy crazy story Um, and uh, I hope that you guys really enjoy this next one um, this next one comes from a story of being in a hotel in the winter time. That really gives you sinister vibes just thinking about it. I mean, you think about the movie um, with the red rum, the shining, you know, the, the shining movie with the red rum and all of that stuff. that all happened in the peak of winter. Um, and it just shows you how much winter and isolation can do to your brain and it's very interesting so we're going to go into the story Um, and uh, it seems very very interesting I read some of it not long ago and uh, I think that you guys will find this story very chilly so here we go guys this is Entitled, "I run a Hotel in the Winter, And terror comes to stay. Here we go, everyone. Close season is the pits. I run a small hotel. I used to run it with my wife, but she left me because of her drinking. She did not go far, I see her in the local bar sometimes, sitting alone, hunched over a bottle, sometimes with her arm around a stranger. It hurts seeing her like that, but there is nothing I can do. Believe me, I've tried. Now all I can do is try and keep busy and not think. Busy is easy during the summer. This is a tourist town. We are surrounded by verdant forests, overlooked by awe-inspiring mountains. The stresses of the hustle and bustle of the city are eased away by the beauty and serenity that greets you in every direction you look. There are thousands of visitors here over the summer and I am always fully booked and run off my feet. Come autumn, though, and the flow of tourists slows to a trickle. The first bite of cold winds swirling through the streets encourages any left to pack up and leave. Soon after, the snows come, and the road into town becomes impassable until next spring. Nature rules here as she once did across whole continents. We cannot argue, just make sure we are stocked up on essential supplies. Our food and water and beer and gasoline for the generators. I have a generator round the side of a hotel. It's relatively new, reliable. I finish thoroughly cleaning and checking it before I lock up the hotel for the winter. The summer and memory, I try and make the most of the transformed town. On an early December day, I stand in the street outside my hotel just as it is going dark and listen to the near silence. There are 20 of us who see out the winter and everyone else indoors. There is no traffic on the road. The only sound I can hear is my generator hurrying efficiently and the birds settling down to nest for the night I try and savor the tranquility while at last I breathe deep and take in the crisp clean air it's in the air that there is the first inkling there is a smell slight at first so slight you might think you are imagining it but then it hits you the smell of meat gone bad then there was a murmuring Voices approaching. My fellow residents will be aware of this as well. The lights in their homes click off one by one, leaving each in darkness behind drawn curtains. Only the street lights remain. The birds have fallen silent. The heart is beating faster now. It is cold outside, but colder deep within me. I will never get used to the fear that comes with this moment, or the terror that will linger for months to come. The first of them to the first of them appear. There are holes in the clothes through which you can see holes in their skin, the bones below. This is an, an urgency to their shuffling gait, and soon. They are congregated around the streetlights, their faces turned up to them, their hands reaching out. I step silently as I get back into the hotel and extinguish the lights inside. I walk along now dark corridors and swing open the doors to the largest room in the hotel, go inside, and flick a switch. I did not close the front door of the hotel behind me and within minutes I can smell them and hear their murmuring. I make my way to the far end of the room, wait by the smaller door there, holding it open, ready to flee. They file in, begin to fill the room until there are a hundred or more all crammed in. They stand, gazing upwards, hands raised, in a kind of reverie. Some way, some sway, some jerk and twitch. The object of their attention, the thing that has drawn them there, the disco ball in the center of the ballroom ceiling. It spins, casting out glittering light, bathing the room in speckles of red, green, blue, and silver. They were transfixed, I make my exit, hurry up to the second floor, which I have once again converted for the winter months into a compound. I have supplies, chemical toilets, doors reinforced with steel, and bolted firm. They come every winter and they stay as long as the generator keeps going and the disco ball keeps spinning. Why do we put up with it? Why do we stay? Well, speaking for myself, my wife, for the hope that she will come back to me. And because in early March, a day will come when I can see the snow melting. I will crack open my window and feel the fresh air on my face. I will hear the birds singing again. It's then I know it's safe to leave my second floor compound. I walk down through the hotel. There's usually a little damage, scrape marks in the walls, and these can be painted over. Cracked window panes, easily to replace. I head into the ballroom, look through the open doors. The disco ball is still. The generator has run out of fuel, and the room is empty. They have left us until next winter. I go get my long broom and begin to sweep the ballroom floor. I sweep it all up and put it in a holdall. Hold when the next few weeks come, I drive down to the neighboring town, and after I've loaded up on fresh supplies for preparing for our first guests of the year, I will pay a visit to the pawn shop and empty out my holdall and cash in my findings. The dented coins, the rings, pendants, bracelets, gold teeth, the things they left behind as an offering in return for a winter of sparkling light. So um that story brings a lot to the table. <laughs> Um, basically this hotel has a lot of creepy guests at during, uh, during the cold December nights. Now, what would you do if you would have guests at your hotel like this? Would you welcome them in and just do what they do, what he did and go onto the second floor, let them have at it? And then sell their trinkets? Or would you get rid of them? And if you got rid of them, what would happen? Would that stir up any energy into the hotel? This brings um, a lot of questions because you see that in the story there is holes in the shirts, holes through their body. Makes you wonder if it's past guests from the hotel that had a great time in a once summer lit hotel. Um, And it brings a lot of questions as well um, as the background of the hotel. If this was a very violent hotel, if these are guests that have died at the hotel and that have a connection um, as well. Um, And there are plenty of hotels that have had um, mobsters, go through and make that basement of that hotel their meeting spot um, and actually uh, back when I used to back when I used to uh, uh, go do ghost hunting and stuff like that in real life there were um, a couple of hotels that I went to that um, actually housed some really big gangsters out there and al Capone was one of them Um, and it was a very creepy, creepy, uh, time. It was near the center. I'm not going to really tell you the hotel name because I don't, I don't think you can do that over radio, but, um, it is a, it was a very eerie experience. You go into the, down to the basement of the hotel. They still had, um, a table set up where they said that that's where they met at. Um, And next to that table was a furnace. Now they said that they would um, do away with the people that would fail them on their runs, fail them on capturing people and bringing them over there. People that would just not do it. Um, And they would do away with them in the furnace. Um, And it's very interesting. And I just read an article not long ago that they are remodeling that hotel they just moved that furnace out, and they found human remains in the bottom of the furnace. Very, very interesting stuff. Creepy stuff. So that could be uh, that. That could have a a tie into the story. There could be um, some stirred up energy if there were uh, some dead bodies that were still in the hotel, still not at rest. That is what I'm getting from this story. If you guys have any thoughts, any stories pertaining to this, write into Unexpected Hauntings739 at gmail.com. We'd love, love, love to have you write in and uh, just tell us what you think about these stories. If these stories are good, if these stories are bad, we'd love your input. That would be amazing, amazing to hear. Um, And... Uh, Really, to be honest with you, I was just thinking about it. Halloween and fall, all this stuff, it's just coming at you super fast. Um, And we're actually airing this on 16th of um, September. And it it seems like it is already Halloween. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's great. And, you know, I think COVID might have to do a little bit with that as well. People are just staying at home. All they can think about is Halloween coming up. And uh it's it's a great great time. So uh yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun and we're gonna go into our last story of this episode. This takes place in nineteen ninety-five. Now I was I was maybe one year old around this time so I wouldn't have been around during this time but this story seemed very very interesting um and uh it just shows you what can happen on Friday the thirteenth on in October um and uh it, it happens with a Halloween party. Um so you know Halloween parties are always fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they can get out of hand sometimes, you know, you've got the spiked punch, you know you've you've got the bobbing for apples, all of the fun things, but in this story, it looks like something goes terribly wrong and we're gonna be definitely definitely in for a treat for this episode. It's gonna be a lot of fun. All right, if you guys are ready. This story doesn't really have a title, but it has a date. And this story happens on October 13th, Friday the 13th, of 1995. Here we go into our last story of the episode. A couple of weeks ago... I was talking with my mom about past Halloween experiences. She talked to me about a Halloween party at her old apartment when I was two. It was October, Friday the 13th in 1995. My dad worked at a Blockbuster, but then... or sorry. <laughs> my dad worked at a Blockbuster back then, and he brought home a copy of Batman Forever on VHS a couple weeks before it wasn't meant to finally come out I can vaguely vaguely remember that party, I told her I remember my mom and her work friends laughing while playing a board game I think it was Taboo or something I remember watching the Batman Forever tape in my dad's lap on our big screen Zenith TV while he spaced out I actually vividly remember Seal's kiss from a rose music video played after the movie was over, and I remember loving that song. Hell, I still do this to this day. I remember my older brother's clown costume and him chasing me around in it while I cried. I was scared of clowns all the way up till I was 14 because of that besides all that, the party was more or less a blur in my mind I don't remember the other guests nor what other whatever else we did that night yep, I remember you later played that tape over and over until it couldn't play anymore I think you I think you came up to me one day and we were bawling like a banshee when you showed me that tape "'was all tangled up from being eaten by the VCR,' my mom said while giggling to herself. "'Do you remember the dream I had that night?' I asked her. "'After we reminisced about the good times, she looked at me confused at first. "'But then I saw the look on her face, and she went pale. "'Honey, you know what your doctor said about remembering that?' You should only talk about it if it's been happening again, she said, while putting a hand on my knee and a look of concern across her face before continuing. Is it happening again? I shook my head. No, Mom. I'm just saying that's all, I replied replied solemnly. Then don't worry about it. It's best to forget those dreams, she said her look of worry fading slightly, though regardless of her or my therapist's work, I never could. Of course, as time bore on, I was able to think about them more clearly. Dreams are one of, one of the only gateways we have to the subconscious. They tell us about something you're dealing with emotionally or intentionally. The therapist's words echoed in my mind as I closed my eyes and leaned back on my mom's sofa. It's getting pretty late. I think I'll be heading home now. I said as I got up. She did the same and walked me to my car. She looked tired, but but content, knowing that I was contented that I was knowing that I was okay. On the on the drive home, my mind hazed. ...with memories of the past. Of a time that was equal parts innocent and terrible. I looked back on the first dream, the one that started the whole thing. The dream that began a saga of nightmares that never truly stopped. I remember after the party my brother and I were put to bed for the night. My eyes quickly grew heavy and I was fast asleep. I was in the clearing of a forest... The wind was whistling through the grass. The night sky was vivid purple, and the air was crisp and cool. Trees surrounding the clearing were swaying with the breeze. Even for my young toddler mind, the setting was calm and soothing. Then I heard it. Laughter. One voice at first, then many more. I focused my eyes on the trees. They were full of swirling leaves, shaped like what I'd later learn were called... Mandel brought fractals. Each trunk had a face, and all the faces looked up at the night sky, smiling. They shook with the rhythm of the laughter. The trees were laughing, not at me, mind you, but at the purple sky. I wondered to myself why the purple sky would be funny. But their laughs were infectious, so I began to laugh with them. The trees stopped laughing and everything got quiet. The wind stopped whistling and the air became still. I looked both on in both confusion and worry as the faces on the trees all looked to me slowly in unison. It was when I woke up. Time wore on and blurred into the forgotten tendium of a toddler's day today and dreams slowly faded into my subconscious that's until october 31st 1995 halloween that year was the first halloween i remember vividly by first halloween i mean that it was my it was the first i actively participated in Being too too young the year before to even remember my literal first Halloween, I remember walking in my neighborhood next to our apartment complex, my hands in my mom's as we went door-to-door, trick-or-treating. My mom and I were dressed in cow onesies that matched, and my brother was dressed as the Green Power Ranger. It was getting late, and my brother wanted to hit up a few more houses before we went home, Three three things stuck out at me at that moment. There were no kids around, the night sky was purple, and it was deathly silent. I began to cry and wail, scared out of my wits. My mom picked me up and hugged me, asking me what was wrong. I was inconsolable, wide-eyed and terrified at something Neither she or my brother could ever understand at the time. Trees, was all I could say, between wailing sobs. I couldn't stop saying it, louder and more frantic, before my mom decided to grab my brother and run, run home with both of us. By the time we were inside the apartment, I was still frightened, but not frantic. My mom asked what was wrong back when we were trick-or-treating. Kneeling next to me as I sat on the floor eating some Skittles. De trees, mama, I said with a mouth full of candy. What about them, baby, she said with a soft smile. I looked at her dead in the eyes and spoke softly. Dare mean to me. That night I'd had another dream, but even in my young mind I knew it this time to be a nightmare. I was in the clearing again, but it was different. The air was stagnant and bitter cold. The rancid stench of decay permeated around me. The grass was dead and tinged a deep crimson and orange like that of a dying, dying coals in a chimney fire. The sky was black as soot and swirled at rolling supercell of obsidian clouds overhead. Not a single iota of... The once whimsical, dream like state I was in once before remained. I felt a foreboding presence all around me, and my heart dropped. Trees, I murmured out with a whimper as I looked all around me. Flanked on all sides were the trees, but even they were different now. Their fractal-like leaves were gone, leaving behind spikes where they weren't once perched. Their faces were contorted into that of a gnarling grimaces with the malice of a madman. Their mouths once flipped up, in humor now sat drooping with wooden, splintered teeth. Their maws dripped caustic black drool as I saw them begin to uproot themselves from the feeded ground and approached me. My legs gave out from under me and I plummeted to the fiery red grass, shrinking down as far as my terrified self would allow and co- cowering as they drew closer and closer. Their branches moved forward in a phalance of wood pikes towards me and I looked around trying to find an opening I could run through. All I found was a continuing wall of dead wood surrounding me on all sides and moving closer in by the second. All I could do was cry, so I did, wailing in fears as the trees drew closer. That's when I heard it. The trees. They began crying, too. A mimicry of my own. At the same speed and pace of my sobs, they sounded as terrified and fearful as me. But even they still drew nearer. Their wooden spears were mere mere inches from me before I wailed the loudest I could as I felt one of the wooden spikes pierce into my chest on the left side. The burning pain of sharp wood sliding into my flesh roughly vivid enough to wake me up from my nightmare. I still had the scar from that night, right next to my bicep and below my collarbone. When I woke up screaming in pain and the fear my mom ran in, those motherly instincts kicking in like lightning. She freaked out when she saw all the blood in the bed and rushed me to the hospital. Next thing I remembered after that was waking up in the ICU. My memories are fuzzy from here. I do remember overhearing the doctors talking to my mom and dad, though. They said it's a miracle I survived. If that would would were only an inch upward, it would have hit my heart. Square in the left ventricle. What was even stranger, the slivers of wood found inside the wound when they were cleaning it. It's the strangest thing, the doctor said, with a perplexed look in his eyes. It's as if he were stabbed with a dowel rod, or something like that. How did this happen again? My mom and dad just shrugged. Just as perplexed as the whole situation. Now as we talk about the freak accident where I got stabbed by something in my sleep and got lucky, it didn't kill me. A story to tell the family. Do you know what scar is worse than a puncture wound full of splinters inexplicably next to your heart? It's knowing full well what did it. No one believing you and having to keep it to yourself, so no one thinks you're crazy. But I know what stabbed me. And monsters like those? Well, they never... Rarely left. So, in here we hear about stories um, that actually come to life. And that is such a crazy thing to think of. It, it kind of brings you back into the 80s um, horror cult films back then when they they drew out um when they drew out Freddy and uh Freddy's hat out of his dream um, th- th- this just proves that um nightmares can of course become a part of the subconscious but if you think about it a lot some people might even be able to get the nightmares to have physical harm as well um, this is just a very very wild dream I mean um, having this happening to you and you not being able to share this has got to be difficult um, and you know of course you know you don't want to tell because you don't want to p- be put into a, an insane asylum or anything <laughs> Um but uh it, it definitely draws uh, a lot of questions as to um has this has this happened to this person again um and if so what are the stories and you know if not then you know maybe this was just a one time thing uh but uh it's very interesting that um to be honest with you if i was the kid I would have told my parents and uh, if all of the things it seems like all the things lined up to his dream that he was having he's got all the evidence it was wood splinters and he was basically killed by a tree (laughs) or almost killed by a tree Um, and uh, all that evidence is there why be afraid to share that with your loved ones? So this is um a very, very different story. I wanted to save this for last because it had a really cool, um, really wild uh twist to it. Because we don't get many stories about dreams coming to life in real life, and you know, whenever you're little, of course, you're more sensitive um to these kinds of things of course you know little kids dogs um some other animals as well they have their brain hasn't really fully developed yet so within those young stages you have uh what is called a uh pre-developed mind or a uh not pre-developed but um basically a undeveloped mind where your mind is still being developed Um, and they say I believe it's um, throughout the years of 30 to 32 your brain is fully developed Um, and it's very interesting to think about that Um, and uh, yeah if you guys have any questions about that uh, please write into our email that would be awesome to be able to hear from you guys. And, uh, I hope to be able to do this every Friday, um, for until, until Halloween. Um, I'm thinking about having some, uh, guests on here, sharing some, uh, stories with us. And, uh, we had a really, really awesome, uh, time last year in Halloween where we did the six weeks of Halloween. Um, and uh we had our our dear friend Chase joined us. Uh, she is a Wiccan. She even blessed the house that I'm in right now. uh very, very into all of that stuff and has a lot of really cool input. So um, it's gonna be a great, great fall season. I'm so, so excited, and uh it's gonna be a lot of fun, everyone. So until then. I hope that you guys really enjoyed this episode and feel free to, uh, to follow us or add us on Spotify or Apple podcasts, wherever you're listening to us from and be able to share our podcast. That would be fantastic because we know around this time and season, everyone loves ghost stories, right? And you know, some people even like ghost stories all the, all the way around 24 seven, 7 (laughs) um so um anyways we also have a facebook page as well unexpected hauntings if you want to follow that we would love to have you there as well it would be a blast to be able to get to know you all of the amazing things and thank you so very much for supporting unexpected hauntings until then listeners have a great night